and I want to bring up Michelle and Maya Gordon to come and read God's word for us this morning before we bring Jeremy up. Luke 12, 35 through 38. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn. But whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. And from Luke seventeen seven through 10. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. <clears throat> yes, yes. I'm... The only thing I'm bummed about is that the online uh, people aren't going to view that online, right? Or is it working? Oh, it is working. Okay, good. Okay, good. My mom is going to be happy in Arizona then. Very happy. So awesome. And uh, my daughter, I didn't even have to bribe her to read that. So even better. Nothing comes out of my pocket for that. So it's pretty awesome. And my wife and my daughter are reading this morning. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you guys have been here for the parable, this whole parable series Unfortunately, this will be the last in the parable series. I know, for me personally, I've really been enjoying the parable series. I've gone to church uh, all my life. I grew up in church, um, read the Bible uh, growing up, read the Bible a bunch, studied the Bible in college, uh, you know, heard tons of messages on the parables. And, uh, and I, I like the parables, but I've never really thought about the parables as a whole. I'm just kind of, oh, you know, this week we're talking about a parable, and so we go through this parable. And for me, as we've been going through all of these different parables and kind of putting them side by side and going one after another, it's been so rich to kind of see these themes and um, the way in which Jesus interacted with his disciples, et cetera, et cetera. And I've been having, personally, I've been having a ton of fun at home uh, maybe just because I'm a geek, or maybe I just don't have a lot to do, but uh, I've been having fun at home just reading through the parables and just enjoying Christ and his perspective on God and, and humanity, etc., etc. And this morning, uh, I'm going to talk about two parables uh, and kind of put them side by side. Um, basically, Tim uh, emailed me and said, hey, you know how uh, Doug did two weeks on one parable? We've got to catch up, so can you get two parables and put them together? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, one of the things that Jesus does, he uses these, uh, he uses these analogies, um, and he kind of speaks, speaks from different perspectives. You know, each parable kind of speaking of different things. Um, and, and one of them is master-servant. And he says master-servant a handful of times. Uh, but he uses this master-servant um, uh, combo a couple of different ways in a couple of different parables. And I just found it fascinating in these two particular parables. And so I wanted to kind of put them together. I thought there was something rich happening here, so I, I want to talk about these two parables together. 
Um, the way I guess I kind of see it is it's, it's kind of like if you have a friend uh, who, who, who doesn't have sight and they say, hey, I've heard about an elephant, tell me about an elephant. And if you have sight, well, you say, okay, an elephant, uh, how do I describe an elephant? Well, uh, ears. Well, okay, you, you have ears, right, on the side of your head. Uh, uh, an elephant has ears, and, and this is kind of what the ears are like. And, and well, nose, okay, you have a nose. An elephant has, it, it's kind of like a nose. It's this weird thing that's it's not, well, I guess it is a nose, it's not a nose, but, and you're describing different aspects of the elephant. Well, Jesus has interacted with God in ways, had experiences of God in ways that he has seen the elephant, so to speak. And we're coming to him saying, hey, describe to us in some sense the elephant. And so each parable is like describing an aspect of the elephant to those who have never experienced it and don't have maybe even the full capacity to experience it the same way. So Jesus uses the experiences that he's had of the Father and the kingdom, etc. And he tries to use language we have to describe to us things we haven't really touched and tasted, etc. One of the ways that kind of jumps out to me is, you know, in, in uh, excuse me, Matthew 17, there's this really funky thing that happens called the transfiguration of Jesus. And what we see is Jesus takes a couple of disciples with him, goes up on this hillside, and something radical happens. Something's going on. All of a sudden, Jesus' face shows uh, white, bright white, and uh, eventually, all of a sudden, this cloud shows up. Um, some of these people that were in the Old Testament that are dead and long gone, they show up. God's voice speaks out loud. The disciples are like, what is happening? These three disciples are like, what is happening? And part of what happens for me as I read the Transfiguration, I wonder... So many times in Scripture we hear Jesus got away to a secluded place to pray. How often did Jesus have those types of experiences with God? And he steps out of an experience that he's had that I haven't had. And I'm like the blind person, and he comes to me and tries to describe with languages or with language and experience that I've had. He tries to use that language to describe something I've never tasted and touched, etc. So in this particular, these two particular parables, he uses this language, master and slave. And my understanding is he's not uh, trying to say, hey, God is your master and you are the slave specifically, although I think there's something to be said there. I think he's trying to use what little language we have, what little understanding we have of the Father, and he's taking his experience that he's had of the Father, and he translates it through this language, faulty as it may be, language for us to understand something. So here he, in these two separate parables, says master, servant, or master, slave, and he's trying to describe some sort of aspect. One, he's describing the, the relationship that the master has with the servants, and then he describes the relationship that the servants potentially have with the master. So here, here are two sentences. I'll say Luke 12, the sentence I hope we kind of walk away with uh, is kind of ringing in our ears, so to speak, is a ready servant, a ready servant is served by the master. A ready servant is served by the master. I think that's what we're kind of glean from Luke 12. And then Luke 17, I think the, 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 the phrase here is, a humble servant serves the master. Okay, so a ready servant is served by the master. A humble servant 
serves the master. Okay, so these will be the, the two things we'll kind of be um, picking at. A little bit of context. In Luke, Luke in specific says about 30 parables, okay? Half of those are shared with Matthew and Mark. So if you read one parable in Luke, you can read it in Matthew and Mark, and they kind of say it maybe in a little bit different ways, but for the most part, it's the same kind of thing. The other half are just particular Luke. He gives us 15 parables that the other ones don't give us. But what's important here for me, as I read through this and just read the parables in Luke, it seems like there's this little dynamic with Jesus. A third of the time, he's speaking to the crowd or the multitude. He's walking by. People are like, hey, I heard he heals. I heard he feeds a lot of us. Let's go follow him. And, and so he kind of throws some parables out to this large crowd, this large multitude. But the other third or other two-thirds are split up between the Pharisees or like the religious elite and the disciples. And in general, not that this is always what's happening, in general, it seems like in Luke what we get is Jesus talks to the through parables, talks to the Pharisees about God, about what, how, who God wants us to be, etc. And then he pivots and uses another parable to talk to the disciples. Okay, so he's kind of ping-pong balling back and forth between this religious elite and then his disciples. He's kind of saying, hey, see how you guys do this? That's not what God wants. And then he kind of steps, steps aside with the disciples and says, no, seriously, guys, the way this is happening, that's not what we're going to do here. That's not what we're about, okay? And these two particular um, parables, he's talking specifically to the disciples. He's pulled the disciples um, aside. And I think two great verses, Romans, uh, excuse me, um, Luke 12, 1, he says, Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. And if you guys remember, I think it was last week, um, Tim was talking about mustard seed yeast, and he's kind of talking about the, the kingdom of God. And just a little bit of yeast affects the whole loaf. You know, you get, I think he said something like six loaves of bread and just a little bit of yeast affects the entire loaf. Well, in this time, he says, hey, be careful that yeast, so to speak, that the Pharisees are using will also affect the entire loaf. And he's saying to the disciples, be careful what you're gleaning from them, what you're valuing that they've taught you to value. Be aware of that. And then the second um, verse, I think, that really colors this conversation is Luke 12, 31. We've, some of us have heard the Sermon on the Mount. You know, blessed are those who are poor or blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Um, he says a little bit to, uh, later to them, hey, prioritize, or it says, seek first the kingdom of heaven, which basically he's saying, prioritize what God is about. Make that important. Food, clothes, all the money, all those things that you need to live, don't prioritize those things. Don't worry about it. those things God will provide but just make sure you're prioritizing what God is about. Okay, so these two kind of verses are going to color the conversation or kind of what Jesus is, is focused on here. So, whew, that's all the introduction, folks. It's going to get crazy here. With all that said, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll kind of jump in. God, we thank you. I thank you so much that you have this hunger, this passion this patience to sit beside me and sit beside us and bring us along. There's something that you're doing. There's something that you value, that you're hungry for, that you've created. And really, you could do it all by yourself. But you turn around knowing that I don't have the, the eyes, the ears, the hands, the coordination to do it as good as you could do it. 
but you reach beside me, you reach to me, and you say, hey, you want to do it too? And so this morning, we all come here wanting to hear from you, God. What is it that you have to say to us? God, if there are things that are just worrying us right now that have our attention, maybe we're struggling uh, in relationship, maybe romantic relationship, friendships, family, maybe we're having a hard time at work or having a hard time with money, whatever the, whatever the worries are right now, and they're getting in the way, I just ask that you would help us to be able to hear this morning. What is it you want to say? God, we love you. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's start with uh, Luke 12. We'll jump into Luke 12 here. I'm going to pull out my gigantic Bible. We're going to read uh, Luke 12, 35. It's on the screen, I think, for those who are at home maybe. Okay, but not for those of us here. If you have your Bible, bring it out. Or your phone, you can bring it out. And here's where Jesus starts. He says, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Now this word ready is kind of a funny Greek word, okay? And that word is peridzonumi. Peridzonumi, this long word. And the only reason why I'm even bringing up this Greek word is because we're going to see it a little later, okay? But peridzonumi, and basically it just means be dressed in your work clothes, okay? Just be ready to work. And then you see that the other phrase, uh, your lamp's lit. What he's telling the disciples, he just really pulls them aside and says, hey guys, just be ready. Whatever the master wants you to do, be ready for it. Whatever he's going to ask you to do, and have your lamp's lit. Maybe it'll be at a time you're not totally prepared. Maybe it'll be at nighttime. Just be ready. So peridzonimi, be ready, okay? And again, we'll hear that word um, uh, going forward, but... Um, I'm reminded of when Tim uh, talked about the mustard seed and the, and the yeast um, parable, one of the phrases that he said is God is always at work. This idea that, hey, God planted the mustard tree and the mustard tree is going to fruit and the birds of the air will land and nest inside. The, God's doing something. That's, that's a foregone conclusion. That's already happening. The only question is, do you want to be a part of it? God's already going to do something. So are you going to be Peridzonomy, are you dressed, ready to work if he asks you to do something in the thing that he's already doing, in some sense, right? Um, so basically what he's saying is, are, are, you, are you ready at all times just to do whatever it is the, the master? Is that the heart that you have toward the master? That's the relationship you have toward the master. And then uh, he goes on, verse 36, Be like uh, men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. So we get this picture of, hey, the master's like, hey, guys, I'm going to go to this uh, wedding, uh, which is a big, there's a big old ordeal for people back in those times. But anyway, hey, I'm going to go to this wedding. Uh, I'll be back. And the, instead of the uh, slaves or the servants being like, okay, he's gone, sweet, party time, cats away, the mice will play. He, instead, he, the, the servants stay in their clothes, ready to work. Whenever it is the master gets back, we're ready to, you know, whatever, you need to water the horse, you need to... Um, you need something to eat or whatever it may be. Whenever the master gets back, we're ready. We hear that knock. We can open up the door and say, hey, you're back. Do you need something? Then we go on to verse 37. Blessed are those uh, slaves or servants whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly, 
Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and would come up and wait on them. Now here is the good or incredible or great news. Okay, so he starts with that word blessed, blessed, blessed. And blessed sometimes in the um, New Testament isn't an immediate thing. It's like this sense of happiness or reward or whatever it may be. But oftentimes when it's used, it means that, you know, in the future. Okay, in the future you're going to experience some happiness or in the future you're going to experience some reward. Um, we see like in Luke 14, he says, uh, yeah, you'll be blessed with this reward at the resurrection. So in the future you're going to have this. Um, this blessing. It's, it's almost like you're a financial advisor. You sit down with your financial advisor and your financial says, blessed are those who take their uh, Starbucks money and put it in their 401k. Eventually, it's going <laughs> to Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say no to the Starbucks. But it, it blessed are those who take that money because eventually you're going to experience the reward. Oftentimes, that's what blessing is. But here's the good news in this passage. The reward is immediate. The reward is immediate for these servants. Because what ends up happening, and here's the crazy part, the master parried zonomy. The master gets dressed in his work clothes. The master comes, knocks on the door. What he finds is the servants opening the door, dressed in their work clothes, ready to work, and something happens. Or the master says, whoa, let me get my work clothes on. You guys, you sit down. Everyone sit down. I'm going to make the meal. I'm going to refresh you. I'm going to feed you. Jesus flips this earthly paradigm. We're so used to, yeah, there, there are people who are valuable, people who lead, people who have the money and the power, and then there's all of us schmucks who serve those people in some sense. That's the way the world works. And Jesus is pulling the disciples away and saying, that's not God's economy, so to speak. That's not how God's going to do things. It's, I'm reminded, you know, again, at this point, the, the servants haven't done anything, really. I mean, they were dressed, ready to go. And at most, they open up the door and they're like, hey, do you, you need something? You need something to eat or you want us to do anything? But they haven't really done anything. It's not like blessed are the, uh, the servants who the master finds that the whole house is organized or hey, all the sock drawers put away or whatever. No, they haven't really done anything yet. Nothing's happened. And yet somehow, just because they have a heart ready to go, the master will serve them. And I'm reminded, uh, Tim had done a message a handful of years ago and was talking about the baptism of Jesus and he had made this observation that was just, just so touching to me that Jesus comes out of the water at the baptism, and God's voice says in public, this is my child. Here's my kid, and I'm so pleased with this guy. But at that point, Jesus hadn't walked on water. He hadn't fed the 5,000. All the radical things that Jesus was going to do, he was still going to do. But something in God's heart says, look at this guy. Look at the heart in this guy. I'm so pleased, not necessarily in what he's done, but who he is, the relationship that we have. Jesus is just here, ready, and we have this connection. I also wonder if Jesus at this time, you know, he says, hey, the master will come in, he'll knock, he'll come in, see that they're ready, and he'll prepare um, some food. 
Uh, I also wonder, in the back of Jesus' mind, he remembers Psalm 23. And they're inside that psalm, that beautiful psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, and he shepherds me to these quiet places, still places. There's the water. He's refreshing me in the midst of the journey. And then Proverbs 23.5 says, He, he, God, this shepherd, prepares a meal for me. And I wonder if Jesus is recalling this, and maybe even the disciples are recalling, that this is who God not just is now, but has always been. That in the midst of the busy world we live, God has been shepherding the whole time, and he's been preparing a feast the whole time for those who are just ready for it. One of the things in, in 1238, it says, whether he comes, whether the master comes in the second or third watch, and that means he could come between 9 and midnight. He could come between midnight and 3 a.m., which to me, the point is, the servants could be really tired by the time he comes. Blessed are those servants who, even when they're tired, they're trying to be aware of the master. They're trying to listen for the knock, and then the master finds the servants, in a, even though they're tired, in a state of just trying to be aware of the master. They'll be blessed because the master will notice, you're tired, aren't you? Sit down. Let me feed you. Let me refresh you. See, Luke 22, a little bit later, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe some of us are familiar with this. And what is he doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, Jesus is deeply distraught. He knows what's about to go down. He's about to go to the cross, and it's going to get ugly. He's going to be called names, lied about, hit, spit on, beat, all these crazy things. And Jesus sits before the Father before this all goes down in this space of fear and overwhelm. And he says to the Father, God, I... I really don't want to do this. If there's some way we can do this whole thing without me going through that, let's do that instead. That would be great. And then he says, but if this is your will, I'm here to do it. Because Jesus is that servant waiting on the master, right? And what we see is this little verse, 1243, or excuse me, 2243, an angel shows up as Jesus is praying. And he's so distraught, an angel shows up and the word is strengthens Jesus. What we see is the master knocking on the door as the servant's tired and overwhelmed. And the servant's saying, oh, I'm still here, whatever it is you want of me. And this angel comes, the father sends, the master sends this angel to strengthen Jesus. What Jesus is trying to say is God has a different economy. God's doing something different. Okay, fine. God's master, your servant, if that's the way you want to see it, fine. But I just want you to know that, yes, God is greater than you, and you are servant in some sense. But just to let you know, master-servant means something different to God. That when you're just ready, but even if you're tired, the master will show up, God will show up, and serve you because this isn't a token economy. God's not creating a sticker chart on the wall and every good thing you do, he puts another sticker on, another sticker on and says, hey, two more good things and I'll bless you with a little bit of money for rent or your mortgage or something. But you just got to do a couple more though. God's saying this, or Jesus is saying to the disciples, this isn't a token economy, guys. This is a service economy. And even the one who should be served, serves 
a little bit, we said, I was talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. A little bit before that, Jesus is in the upper room and he's talking with the disciples. And in that moment, he, uh, he gets dressed in his work clothes as they're about to have the meal. He gets dressed up in his work clothes and he washes the disciples' feet, which is very much a servant thing to do for the, the master. But Jesus washes their feet. Some of the disciples are like, dude, what is happening here? No, 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 you don't do this, etc., etc." And then Jesus sits down after this servant um, interaction and he says, hey, you guys call me teacher. That's fine. Call me teacher. It, you're right to call me teacher because I'm teaching. Okay? I've learned things about God. I have a relationship with the Father. And so I teach you guys. So if you want to call me teacher, awesome. You call me Lord. That's also right. I am the Lord. Eventually, I'm leaving here and I'm going on the throne. Fine. You want to call me Lord? That's great. But I want to emphasize something. If your teacher and your Lord washes your feet, maybe we're doing something different now. Maybe it's not about this and this. Maybe it's about a mutual serving, a mutual love, a mutual relationship where we show up adamant, desiring to serve one another. But this, right after that moment, is what brings us to our, our second parable. So Jesus washes the, the disciples' feet. They kind of talk a little bit about the kingdom. And then all of a sudden the disciples kind of show what's really going on inside their hearts. And this is in, in Luke chapter 22. Jesus said, or the disciples um, get into a little bit of an argument. And they say, hey Jesus, just wanted to know who among us is the greater? Like who's, who's the better one here? Obviously, the Father loves everybody the same. We get that for sure. But just a quick question. Who's got the most stars on the chart? Because, you know, Peter walked on water. That's pretty awesome for sure. So he definitely gets a star for that. But James and John, they're pretty zealous, right? So they should get some stars too. So we're just kind of wondering who's, who's more important here. And part of what's happening here is the disciples are showing that the yeast of the Pharisees and of our culture is, is inside the bread, is inside their hearts. And so here in, in Luke 17, we kind of pivot from the master's relationship to the servant, we pivot to the servant's relationship to the master and what's driving that heart. And so we kind of jump in to Luke 17. And again, that line is a humble servant serves a humble servant serves the master. And I'll, I'll be honest, when I've read, I've read this uh, parable a handful of times, and it kind of upsets me. There's just language in here that just makes me go, ugh, I don't really don't like some of this language. Partially because it almost seems like, as I've read through this parable, it's like Jesus is promoting like being rude or taking advantage of people or being kind of inconsiderate. And so just kind of acknowledging my own heart, there's part, parts of me when I read some of these parables, I'm like, I really don't like that. Sometimes I don't like it because it feels like I'm the bad guy. I'm like, oh, man. Great, I'm the bad guy, I get it. Uh, but in this one, I'm like, oh, I'm confused. Again, the context is, you know, Jesus talks to the Pharisees, then talks to the disciples, talks to the Pharisees, talks to the disciples, and here in Luke 17, he's talking to the disciples again. And he gives this little uh, parable. This is Luke 17, 7 through 10. And he says, Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending the sheep, will say to him when he's come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat. 
So having a slave, uh, Tim's done some messages in the past that kind of talk about the context, that, that context and what slavery and servanthood looked like uh, back in Jesus' day. It was a bit different than what we're used to in American history. I think in this particular parable, a good thing to compare it to is like, um, they had this concept called uh, bond servant, which is basically if you owe some money, you kind of work it off. If you don't have the money, you work it off. So just the picture that I think of is, hey, this kid is hitting the baseball in his front yard and he knocks the ball into the neighbor's window. Uh, he says, oh man, I broke your window. And the neighbor says, okay, I think it's gonna be like 300 bucks to fix this window. And the kid's like, well, I don't have 300 bucks. And he says, well, okay, it's fine. Tell you what, the next handful of weekends, just come and mow the lawn and wash the windows and do some stuff around the house. Now this kid is a bond servant, basically, to the neighbor. He's got some stuff he needs to do to pay back this debt. So this is kind of the context here when he's saying slave or servant. But here's what I find interesting about this. Not a lot of people had slaves. There were a lot of slaves back then, but not a lot of people had slaves. In order to have a bond servant, you had to have money to give to people, and then they owed you. So it's interesting that Jesus says, which of you having a slave? Who are the people following Jesus? Were there some rich people? Sure. Jesus had some rich people following him. But for the most part, he didn't have a lot of rich people following him. So I'm curious. As Jesus kind of teases us up and says, which of you having a slave? If there's a little smile across Jesus' face and the disciples kind of chuckle a little bit. And he says, let's suspend reality. I get it. None of us have a bunch of money here. We don't have slaves, but just for the fun of it, pretend you had a slave. How would you interact with that slave? And so the disciples kind of, they go with the joke, they smile and say, okay, hit us. What, what would happen here? So Jesus says, verse 7, having a slave. Um, after, let's see, let me see this. Uh, which of you having a slave plowing or tending the sheep? So what we notice here is the slave in this parable is doing something. The slave in the last parable wasn't really doing anything. The slave in this parable is doing something. And he says, uh, coming from the field would say, come immediately and sit down. And this phrase uh, in Greek, it's like really over the top. Imagine, again, you have that kid who's mowing the lawn because he broke the, the window. Imagine that kid comes in from mowing the lawn, kind of wipes his hands and says, okay, what's the next thing to do? And the neighbor's like, oh, wow, you mowed the lawn? <gasps> Oh my goodness, you know what, I tell you what, just stop. Stop working for the day. You just go home. That was a lot of work. You get out of here. Jesus says, is that how you treat the slave? Is that how you treat the bondservant? No. You'd pull out the list and say, okay, great. Hey, thanks for mowing the lawn. On to the next thing. How about you go wash the windows? That's how you'd treat the slave. In uh, Luke, uh, verse 8, but will he not say to him, prepare me, prepare something for me to eat? Next on the list. You got this stuff done out in, the, out in the field. Now, next on the list, prepare me something to eat. And then after you're done, then you can take a break and go get something to eat. And then we go into verse 9. He says, he does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? And that word thank, that's what kind of ugh, made me feel funky. I was like, wait, so you're telling me you don't say thank you to, the, to anybody? Is that what you're telling me, Jesus? You just kind of, yeah, whatever, next, what next on the list. But it's funny, that word thank is that word that we translate grace. I think the Greek word is charis or charis. That, that idea of grace, which means extra praise. Again, kind of going back to that gold star thing. If the slave comes in and has done the thing on the list which you asked him to do, you don't go, whoa, 
gold, gold star for everything you did. You just say, okay, awesome. You did the thing on the list. Okay, now let's do the next, next thing. Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, look, if you love someone who loves you, you don't get caris for that. If you give someone money because you know they're going to give you the money right back, you don't get a gold star for that. If you think you deserve a pat on the back for doing things that you really should just do, you don't get caris for that. If you come to God and say, hey, God, hey, the Ten Commandments, I did those. I didn't murder today. God doesn't say, oh, you didn't murder someone today? Gold star, right? And this is what God is saying to the disciples. Hey, just because you're doing what's on the list doesn't mean you get a gold star. Or maybe more importantly, he's saying, if you were the master and the slave came to you or the servant came to you, you wouldn't be like, whoa, gold star about every little thing that the servant did, right? Instead, Jesus kind of flips it on verse 10. He says, so this is how you'd act as a, as a master, seven, verses 7 through 9. This is how you'd act. Right? You just expect the servant to do what the servant's supposed to be doing. The kid broke the, broke the glass. He just owes you money, so he's doing all these things on the list. And you're just saying, okay, great. Now do the next thing on the list. Do the next thing. That's the kind of relationship you as a master would have with a slave. And then the verse 10, he says, so, and he flips it here, so you too... When you do all the things which you are commanded, say, we're unworthy slaves. We've done only that which we ought to have done. He's saying, if, if you as a master would treat the slave this way, well then, shouldn't you show up as the slave that way with the master? And I think what Jesus is trying to highlight, again, is what we discovered about the Pharisees, what we discovered about the disciples, that sometimes when we're serving the master, something drives us that isn't humility. It's pride. And oftentimes the servant can get caught up in what can be called this token economy. Often the servant can be saying, hey, if I do this thing and this thing and this thing, then hopefully the master will acknowledge and will give me some sort of reward or extra favor. What ends up happening in that pride state as you're serving the master is you kind of flip. You're not serving the master, you're using the master. I'm showing up and doing all these things so that the master reflects back to me that I'm as good as I think I am. See, I have this quiet understanding about myself. I'm a pretty good person. I'm not as bad as all these other people. That's like the Pharisee when he's praying out loud, God, thank you so much for making me me. I'm not that tax collector over there. For some of us, we have this quiet understanding about ourselves that we're pretty darn good. And if it really came to light and God kind of unraveled the sticker chart, what we'd probably find is we've got a lot more stickers than a lot of other people. But what we need is, we need the master to reflect back to us how good we think we are. And instead of being driven by humility to serve the master, I'm driven by pride, hoping that the master shows me how valuable I quietly think I am. But here's the really sad part about that. What ends up happening is the master goes 
to a wedding feast. And if I'm driven by pride and the master's not here, well then there's no master to reflect back how good I am. So then what do I end up doing? Maybe I take off my work clothes. And now maybe I start hitting on other slaves. Maybe I start abusing other slaves, telling dirty jokes, or doing all kinds of stuff to have those slaves reflect back to me, my value, my importance. And in the midst of all of this, eventually the master comes back from the feast and he knocks quietly on the door. But unfortunately, I don't hear it. I'm so caught up in having my value portrayed to me and using people around me to make me feel good. The master comes ready to serve me and I can't even hear it. And so I think what we'll close with today is a couple of questions to maybe be thinking about as we worship this morning. Maybe the first one from that first parable. For some of us, we really are in a space where we deeply desire to follow God. We are dressed in our work clothes, but maybe like those servants, we're really tired. Serving or being ready to serve in our family, with our friends, at work, has taken it out of us. And my question to you this morning is, can you trust this morning? Can you trust that God is creating this space where he really does want to serve you? That maybe he really does notice, not that you're perfect, not that you've been the greatest parent or greatest friend or greatest colleague or what, he just really notices in your heart that you really do want to serve him. And he's aching to set up a table for you and refresh you. Can you trust that that's who God is for you this morning? In the other parable, the question I have for you, just to kind of chew on, ask yourself, God, am I really driven by humility when I serve you? Or is there something inside me that deeply is longing for that token economy? And really, God, I'm just using you to make me feel better, more worthy, more valuable. Bring these questions to, the, to God this morning as we kind of do some worship and see where he, uh, where, where he meets you in all this. Let's go and pray, and then we'll do some, uh, do some worship songs together.